Thank you for joining us on our Living Word Christian Center podcast. You're about to listen to one of our guest speakers. Open up your hearts and get ready to receive a word from the Lord. morning. Many of you know um, I have the privilege of marrying Pastor Ruben and Stella's daughter. Uh, We celebrated 30 years in March of marriage and uh, it's been a blessing. She's uh, coming in now and um, we also just celebrated 25 years of ministry in the city of Fort Collins, Colorado. So uh, God's been faithful. And it's been a blessing. So this uh, past month of September is our anniversary month of uh, ministry in Fort Collins. And so we kind of all month just been celebrating just God's faithfulness to uh, his people. And it's been a blessing. Um, but one of the things I wanted to share with you today is from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And so if you would uh, open your Bibles there, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 27. First Samuel 27. I've entitled the message this morning, The Dark Night of the Soul. Some of you guys thought I was going to say Batman, the dark night. Huh? The dark night of the soul is uh, the title of the message. And um, just, just probably in the last maybe five or six years, um, since probably since I turned 50, I'm 55. And, uh, you know, when you get to that half a century, you realize that you have more time behind you than you do ahead of you. And just in my heart, what the Lord has been dealing with my heart recently is just to finish well, to finish the race that God has called us to. And uh, I don't know how, you know, we don't know how much time we have. Uh, We could be either raptured tomorrow or, you know, something could happen. The Lord could take us home. And uh, we just want to finish well the race that God has called us to run. And so I want to kind of encourage you all uh, in that line of thinking this uh, morning, if we could just... uh, Ask the Lord to give us the power, the strength of his Holy Spirit to enable us to finish the race that God has called us to well, to to cross that finish line so that we could hear the voice of the Lord telling us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Let me just read a portion of our text this morning. First Samuel uh, chapter 27. There's only 12 verses, but notice what uh, the scripture says. It says, and David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. 
Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your holy word, your living word, your written word. Father, would you write it upon our hearts, those exhortations, those warnings, Father, the principles, the lessons that we could learn from David's life this morning in your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, to hear what your spirit would say to us today. We ask, Lord, that you would be exalted in our lives, Father, above every care, above every uh, sin, Father God, that the enemy and that this flesh, Lord, would tempt us with. Father, we want to finish well. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us afresh this morning and overflow us, Lord, and give us the power and the strength, Father, to bring glory to your name. We ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the most famous Christian books that have ever been written, it's been uh, uh, multi multiplied uh, in the millions of copies. It, it was written by a man named John Bunyan, and it's called The Pilgrim's Progress. I'm not sure if any of you have uh, read it before. I'm sure some of you have probably heard it at least, but uh, that particular book is a Christian allegory, and so he creates all these characters that represent different parts of our Christian life. But the main character is a guy named Christian, and he's on a journey to the heavenly city. And of course, on that journey, as many of us are on the Christian journey to our eternal home of heaven, he encounters a lot of difficulty. And one of the difficulties that he uh, encountered was called the slough of despond, and it's kind of like a pit. The word slough simply means like a deep, miry, muddy pit. And how many of us were there at one time, right? And he looks up and he's calling for help and a guy named Help shows up. It represents the Holy Spirit and he lifts him out of the pit. And that word despond is short for despondency. And it's not a word I use in my vocabulary all the time. So I asked Siri, Siri, and I don't want Siri to, you know, to mess with me right now because I have my phone up here. But I asked Siri what the meaning of despondency was. And this is what uh, Siri said. The definition is a state of low spirits caused by loss of hope or courage. In other words, it's a, it's a feeling of depression, right? You're kind of down. You're bummed out because you've lost hope or you've lost courage to continue. And guys, that's where Christian was. He was in the pits. He was in a muddy place. And that's where David, the future king of Israel, is in our text this morning here in 1 Samuel 27. He's in a dark, muddy, difficult place. And some of us have been there. Maybe you're here and you're in that place this morning. Because the Bible tells us right in the book of James, not 
if we fall into tribulation, we're to consider it joy. But when? Because it anticipates that we're going to have some dark times in our life. And this is where David was. And as I mentioned, and I, as I finished reading this morning in our text, he was there for 16 months. He's in this trial, this difficult situation. And the lesson, the overall lesson I think that I want you guys to grasp this morning is that the Christian journey is a difficult journey. It's a difficult uh, time that we're going to be in in this world. Remember, the Lord said, in this world, we're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said that the, the way to eternal life is a narrow and a straight way and a difficult way. And few there are that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so I say that way because it's a difficult path. We have to deny the flesh every day, right? We have to crucify the old nature, the sin nature that wants to, you know, burn chancla on the dance floor like they did last night, right? Some of you guys, man, we were watching you, by the way, taking notes. Okay, sister, I see you out there, right? Listen. The Christian life is a difficult life. But there's another life that's even more difficult. And that is the disobedient life. So that's why we got to keep our hearts in check. And keep our, our, our eyes wet. Our knees bent. And our heart broken before the Lord. Because there's a, a devil out there, right? That wants to destroy your life. And, and David, notice, notice verse 1 again. It says, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. That was his desire and going to the land of the Philistines as he's running from King Saul. Now, if you remember the life of David, when Saul had blown it by not utterly wiping out the Amalekites as God had commanded him, remember Samuel the prophet told him, hey, because of your disobedience, God is taking the throne away from you and is giving it to a better man, and that was David. And Saul, Samuel, remember, anointed him with the horn of oil. He was the anointed king already, but Saul was still on the throne. And there was a period of 10 years before David would be the king of Israel. And for that whole 10-year period of time, remember, for a moment, he's in uh, the courtyard. He's in the palace of Saul. He's playing the harp beautifully uh, before him, but remember Saul was throwing spears at David that eventually drove him out to run from David, or run from Saul rather, and it's, it's a period of 10 years now that he's running from Saul. So this is a 10-year trial that he's in, and uh, it would be a period of preparation. God was using Saul to prepare David to be the next king so that there wouldn't be any Saul in him when he came to the throne. He was showing him how not to be a man of the flesh 
And David, of course, we know is a, was a man of the Spirit. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a worshiper of God. He was a shepherd of the sheep, and he depended upon God. He trusted in God. And, and you know, if you read the Psalms, you could see that throughout his lifestyle, right? He was a worshiper. There were times where he was down in the pits, but then he would be praising the Lord. But man, I thank you, Lord. Let everything that had breath praise the Lord. I thank you for my life. And we, we see that throughout the Psalms. It's a great place to escape when you're feeling discouraged. And when you're without hope, you could go to the living word and it could lift you up out of the pit of despair because the Lord knows, the Lord himself knows what it's like to be in that place. Listen, if you're in that place this morning, you're in good company. As you know, you, we know the prophet Elijah was in that cave hiding. Remember when Jezebel was chasing him? Some of you guys have a Jezebel at home? She's chasing you. You're hiding in that prayer closet. Oh, she doesn't find me in here, right? Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, uh, has written many books on depression and discouragement because he experienced it in his life. And then I can't help but think of our Lord and Savior, especially as he's approaching the cross. Remember, uh, Luke, Dr. Luke tells us that he sweated great drops of blood. And it's, a, it's, a, it's something that's been diagnosed as uh, someone who's undergoing great stress. And that's where our Lord was. As he approached the cross, he wanted his friends near. And then how did he handle that time of dis discouragement and depression and stress, but he handled it with prayer. He's in the garden praying and crying out to his father. And so we, we see that. And in fact, the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews tells us this because of what the Lord experienced there. He tells us in Hebrews 4.14, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then he says this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so we could come to our Lord because he knows what we're, we're going through because he's been there. And, and David here, notice with me that David doesn't do that here. He doesn't call out to the Lord. In fact, notice verse 1 again what it says. It says, then David said in his heart, he's speaking to himself. We don't know if he spoke this out loud to his companions. He has 600 fighting men with him and their families, plus two of his wives that he's going to go take now to live and to dwell amongst the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, not the Philippines. The Philistines, right? And so notice, David is speaking to himself and he's not speaking the right things. He's speaking discouraging things about where his life is right now. Man, he says what? I'm going to die someday. In other words, he's losing himself, his identity of who he is, the anointed one of God. He's already been anointed to be the king. But he's saying what? Man, I'm going to die someday. Saul's going to eventually catch up to me with his 3,000 fighting men. 
There's no better thing for me to do except what? To escape to the land of the Philistines, the enemy. And how many times do we find ourselves in that place? Man, pastor hasn't recognized me. Man, I'm just going to go to the bar. I'm going to go back to the neighborhood, right? To this or to that. And, and this is where David is. He is thinking within his heart. And this is why it's important to hide the word of God in your heart. So that the Holy Spirit can bring it back to remembrance. Because many times our own thoughts are not good thoughts. And we need to cast down our thoughts and bring them to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We need to meditate upon good things. Psalm 19:14, one of my favorite passages is, is you know, that we, uh, the psalmist here, David, he asked the Lord, you know, to let the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And so you've heard that term before, sow a thought, you reap an action. If you're constantly thinking about something, that In-N-Out burger, three by three with chopped chilies, animal style, eventually you're going to get in your car and you're going to go get one, right? And that's what it's saying. Sow a thought, you reap an action. But if you keep sowing that action, you're going to reap a habit. And if you keep sowing that habit, you're going to reap a character. You sow a character, you're going to reap a lifestyle. You sow a lifestyle, you're going to reap a destiny. And then it begins with a thought. And so here, what David is doing, notice, he's thinking undisciplined thoughts. And what does it lead to? It leads to him moving into the Philistines, and he would be there for 16 months. He would stay there in that place, which what I would kind of consider a backslidden condition, living amongst the enemy. And so notice the second thing is his problem was, as he said, I, I'm going to perish someday uh, by the hand of Saul. What he's doing is he's starting to worry about the future, something that he has no control over. Saul has been chasing him for 10 years and hasn't been able to catch him. You know, David should have understood, hey, man, God's taking care of me. God had a promise on his life that he was going to be the next king. Here, David is forgetting about the promise of God. Not only David, you know, uh, Samuel had anointed him, but then uh, Jonathan, the son of Saul, and even Saul himself had told him, truly, you are going to be the next king. And, and, and David, for a time, believed that. But now it's been 10 years that he's been waiting. And guys, we know that ten year, a 10-year trial, sometimes you know, a 10-week trial is tough. Or how about a 10-hour trial? <laughs> or how about a 10-minute trial, right? You're waiting for your coffee at Starbucks. Where are those guys? Or your food at the restaurant? It's been 10 minutes. I ordered 10 minutes ago. That's a trial. And David was in this trial for 10 years. And he's, he's kind of given up on the promises of God. He's tired. And he, he's forgot about that time when God had anointed him and he's, he's giving up. And, and you, maybe you've heard that term before regarding ministry that we could get tired in the ministry, working, serving, but we should never get tired of the ministry. And I think David here is tired of all of it. He's like, man, I'm tired. I'm tired in the ministry from running, but I'm tired of the ministry. I'm done. 
I'm giving up. Eventually, Saul's going to catch up to me. I'm never going to be the king. I give up. I'm just going to go hang out with the Philistines. And that's what David is doing here. But it's never time to quit. Because God is faithful. Amen? Amen. It's never a time to quit. God is faithful. And God will bring you to that place. He's not done with you. If there's breath in your lungs, God's not done with you. And if you're hogging somebody's oxygen this morning, there's still a a move of God that he wants to do in your life. And I I love somebody once said, I think, regarding revival, a definition for revival is just uh, in your heart, just that desire to obey God today. That's revival. It should begin in your heart. If you want revival to take place in your city and this church, it needs to begin in our heart first. We need to say, Lord, I'm going to obey you today. It's a new season to obey the Lord today. And so let that happen. Because notice the third thing is is David's pitfall is he's reasoning in himself, but then he resorts to wrongdoing. And that is uh, hanging out with the Philistines here. You know, he's complaining. Times are hard. God's deserted me. God's forgotten about me. Oh, man, God God will never forget about you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will never forget about you. He has you right where you are. David was running for 10 years. Hey, it was all for a purpose to get the saw out of him. So that he wouldn't become a spear thrower. And this is the character building time. And sometimes it's hard, man. God will put difficult people in your path. Yeah. That's why Reuben's here, right? Danny. Just kidding. <laughs> he wants to shape you. But notice what, notice what David does here because he says, well, I, I'm just, there's nothing better for me except to go hang out and live amongst the Philistines. But listen, David's, this is David's decision. But here, listen, you never are sinning on your own. You might think, oh, this is my decision. But listen, what about those people around you, your family, those that know you? Whenever you sin, you never sin on your own. It's going to affect everybody around you. It's going to affect everybody. You might think, oh, man, you know, I'll just take the consequences and uh, nobody else is going to be affected by it, right? My ministry and, or whatever. Hey, it's going to affect everything around you. You always drag others with you. Notice verse 2. It says, then David arose, right? David alone, solo, but notice... And he went over with 600 men, verse 2, who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, not only the 600 men, but their families. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Now, notice that David got what he wanted. Saul wasn't seeking him no more. But remember, he's hanging out with the enemies of Israel and he's taking not just the 600 men with him, but their families and then his two wives. And so David is putting them in a place of compromise. 
He's thinking, hey, I'm okay, I'm hiding, and my life is spared. But notice he's putting all these people in this position of compromise with him. He's thinking he's all right. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says about this. He says, you think you can compromise and it won't affect your family? You do not live independently of everybody else. When you make a decision that is wrong, when you choose a course that is not God's plan, it affects those who trust you and depend on you, those who look up to you and believe in you. Though innocent, they become contaminated by your sinful choices. Heavy. It affects everybody. David might thought he was in a safe place. It was a false sense of security. Why? Because compromise in sin is never a safe place. We need to be under the spout where the blessings come out, right? And the greatest place to be is obedience. Obedience. That's the best place to be. Sin is never a safe place. And then notice he settles down. Verse 5, he settles down in this city. It says, Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag. Ziklag uh, therefore belonged to the kings of Judah from this day. And then verse 7, notice that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines for a year and four months. That's how long he was there. That little decision. Sometimes the little compromises lead to greater compromises. Our backslidden condition begins with one thought and then one action. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. It spreads. And so we need to be careful. We need to not lower our guard to give in to these little things, the carnal living. And what's interesting here is, you know, David here is living in a city that was conquered uh, by Joshua when Joshua first led the Israelites into the promised land. They conquered Ziklag, but then the Philistines came in and conquered it, but they weren't really dwelling there. And that's why they gave it to David. And, and, And here's the, I think the application here for us is interesting because your life and my life belongs to the Lord, right? He purchased it. But sometimes we allow certain things into our life that shouldn't belong. Things, little sins that we think, you know, hey, I'm a strong believer now. I think I could welcome this in my life now. I could handle it. I have control. Just a couple hours here, but then I'll get back to my Christianity later. And this is what David is doing here. He's settling in the land and he doesn't know how long it's going to be, but it would last for 16 months. And it reminds me of Nehemiah because I like what Nehemiah did. Remember when Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king and he had a burden to go build the walls in Jerusalem. They were broken down and he did that. But then he came back to the king, Artaxerxes in Babylon. But then the Bible says he went to go check up on the people in Jerusalem and see how they were doing. And and this is what I love about Nehemiah because remember he had two guys that were constantly bugging him, trying to distract him from building the walls. And it was Sanballat and Tobiah, his enemies. But when David came back to visit Jerusalem, if you're a note taker, write down Nehemiah 13 verse 8. Because there the Bible tells us 
that in the context that one of the priests, Eliashib, had given a room in the temple to one of the enemies of Nehemiah, Tobiah. He was living in one of the rooms in the courtyard of the temple. And this room was set apart by God for the storing of grain offerings, new wine and oil, uh, fragrance, tithes of grain, and the offerings for the priests. And here we have the enemy of Nehemiah, who's the enemy of God, living in the temple. And Nehemiah comes, and it was one of the priests that led him. And so what does Nehemiah do? It says, and it grieved me bitterly, he said. Therefore, I threw all the household gold goods of Tobiah out of the room. Nehemiah cleaned house. Amen. Some of us need to clean house today. Some of us have allowed the enemy of our souls to dwell in the temple, this body that has been purchased by God. And you're allowing the enemy to live and to dwell there. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning, then you need to clean house. You need to confess and repent of her sin and get him out of there. Hope you bought some steel-toed shoes this morning. <laughs> so he stayed there for 16 months, church. It's time to clean house. There's a downward spiral that's going down here. Let's jump to, to verse 8. Notice. It says, And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, the pillow fights, and the mosquito bites. <laughs> For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And so uh, he would take his 600 men and raid these regions. But we're going to see in just a moment that whenever the king of the Philippines would ask, uh, Philippines, Philistines, <laughs> that's from you, brother. Whenever the king of the Philistines would ask him, where did you go today? He would, he would tell them, oh, just to the southern part of Judah. And so he would think that, oh, he's, he's attacking his own people, the Israelites. But he was really attacking the enemies of Israel. But he was just kind of, you know, he was lying. He was being deceptive. And throughout this time, we're going to see that David was living a double life. He was an Israelite in his heart, but on the outside with his actions, he was a Philistine. And he was an enemy because he was living amongst them. He was becoming like them. Notice verse 10. It says, then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah. Notice he's not detailed. Or against the southern area of the Jeremilites or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us or rat on us, right? Or squill on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. And so he's living this double life here. But we know that Jews don't kill Jews, right? Just like a friend doesn't let a friend drink corporate coffee, Starbucks, right? 
What was David doing? He was covering his tracks. He was covering his sin. He was being deceptive. Later on, we know that David, when he would commit adultery with Bathsheba, what, he would try to cover his tracks by you know, trying to bring her husband in. Her husband wouldn't sleep with her, so he sent, her, sent him out to the battle, and he got him killed to cover his sin. If we don't take care of the roots, church, the sin in our life, it's just going to grow. You got to pull them out by the roots. There needs to be true repentance. David here, notice he, he doesn't want anyone to know what he is doing. And a carnal Christian has too much of the world to be comfortable in the church. But we have too much of the Lord in us to be comfortable in the world. We need to not have one foot in and one foot out. We need to be all in here, church. We need to be all in with the Lord. And David, you know, he's in a discouraging, he's in a troubled place, but at the end of the 16 months, it gets harder because of his <clears throat> disobedience. But finally, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, he cries out to the Lord. And it says, David was greatly distressed, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And finally, he makes the right choice and he begins to ask the Lord and to seek the Lord and saying, Lord, shall I go out and, and fight against these people that have raided you know, our city? And the Lord says, go, go. And you know what I love about that? And I'm going to close with this. David has been away from the Lord for 16 months, but then he finally says, Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord, and then he said, Lord, are, do you still want to use me? Do you want me to go out against the enemy? Do you want me to, to go witness? Do you want me to share my faith? Do you want me to still you know, serve you and to worship you? And the Lord says, go. He doesn't say, hey, man, you've been backslidden for 16 months. You stay on the shelf for a little bit, right? Or you need to go here. You need to wait. No, the Lord says go. And I love that about our Lord. He'll use you. If you're willing and you want to surrender, God will use you. But you got to surrender. you got to surrender. And if you're here this morning and you haven't yet surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you need to do that today. Because we don't have tomorrow promised. We're like a vapor, the scripture says, here today and gone tomorrow. You don't know when your time is up. So each day is important. Live today for the Lord. You worry about tomorrow later. You give that to the Lord later. Because we don't have control of tomorrow. But God knows our tomorrow. But we need to give him our lives today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we <clears throat> lift up your people this morning. And the word, Father, that's been sown into our hearts this morning, your Holy Spirit has spoken to us, Lord. You know where we are. You know if we've been drifting and walking away from you, Lord. And you're giving us now an opportunity to come back to you. And if there's anybody here, Lord, who has been walking away from you and they're coming back to you this morning, Lord, we know that you're welcoming them. Your arms are wide open, just like the prodigal son was welcomed back by his father. Lord, we pray that you would touch them right where they are, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just pour out your 
ointment, your love, your grace, and your mercy, your kindness, and just shower them with your love this morning. Father, I, I, I pray that your spirit would search our hearts this morning for anything that doesn't glorify you, anything that doesn't honor you. Lord, put your finger on those areas of our life that we need to clean house and, and confess and repent of this morning, Lord, because we want to finish well. And we want to cast off the weights and the sins that are slowing us down in the race that you've called us to run, Lord. We want to be effective in this race, this Christian race and this life that you called us to, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his death upon the cross, his burial, his resurrection. If there's anybody here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, the Bible says you simply need to believe that Jesus died in your place. He took our sin upon himself while he was on the cross. And if you believe in him, all his righteousness will be placed upon you. We just need to believe and then confess the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe, Lord, that you died for me. And if you need to do that this morning, we want to invite you to do that right where you're seated to just invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. Believe that he died on that cross for your sin. Ask him to fill you and to give you the strength and the power to live for him each day. I'm going to ask you all to stand this morning and if anybody needs prayer, we're going to open up the altars. If anybody.